0: Change your job, yeah, but, I mean, that's, I mean, yeah.
1: It's been a, a it's been a... You want to
0: hang out and you want to hang out in subculture music for the rest of your life?
1: No. Ah. Let's let's be
0: honest. So I'm doing something wrong. (laughs)
1: that's not for me to to pass judgment listen it's um you know I spent some of the best parts of my life in music you know we shared some nights together and some tours together and stuff and you know we had a lot of fun but I think with music you don't you don't see and this is no reference to you Rob but you don't (laughs) see how um toxic the industry is until you're out of it you, don't oh, it, yeah. you You know once when you're in it you're kind of living this this life of everything's great and it's not until you kind of come out of it and you look back on the years and yeah i had some great years in music but you've, you when you experience different industries you realize how toxic the music industry is and <clears throat> the morals that it's built on everything around the music industry is just broken in the, you know, that's just my opinion. There's 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 plenty of people that will argue against that, but um you know, now I'm in what what you'd call sports retail, and it's just a whole different world. Like it's it's we're dealing with you know football clubs from Premier League to non-league, and it doesn't matter how big how small a club is, they all carry similar values, they all carry the same message, and there's this whole kind of like stronger together kind of vibe in the sports industry. Um, And it's, you know, it's, I think the music world could learn a lot off of the sports industry, but the sports industry could learn so much off music as well. Like this is so weird. We do stuff in retail in sport that we like, you'll be fully familiar with this. You release a new record. um, You put a record up for pre-order before it comes out and you do a bundle system so you know you cd cd and t-shirt cd vinyl and t-shirt limited edition bundles um we kind of realized you know we're three years in four years into this journey now in sports retail and we kind of realized that no one in sport does bundles it's never been seen before so and we were just like but it worked so well in music so we were like let's let's try it so we released a uh nineteen uh I can't remember what year it was. We released our nineteen ninety-one FA Cup final shirt for Sheffield Wednesday. We released a remake of that um a couple of weeks ago. And we did this bundle system. So we did art prints, we did mugs, we did all these different bundles, and it was the biggest success we've had on any release. And it just showed that there were areas where music's got it right and we've managed to bring that into sport. But there's a lot of areas in sport that music could take a little bit of influence from, and yeah, like it's a weird one. A lot of people, you know, as as with you, when you say about touring across the years and doing this and doing that in music, everyone's everyone wants to hear the story, and there are a lot of good stories and stuff. But there's a lot of bad ones as well, and I don't think you really oh, see yeah. the bad ones until you look back on it.
0: No, you see the you see the bad ones just like that too. Believe me. Yeah. yeah that, <laughs> what? This is-
1: That's the difference. You're the musician. You you live that bad story, whereas you're not you know, I speak very transparently. I was the cause.
0: Yeah, the cause and sometimes suffers at the hands of.
1: Of course. I was the cause of that bad story because I have to drop bands, I have to let bands go, I have to tell a band that they're not getting on a tour, they've been kicked off a tour, that they've been dropped. They you know, these bad stories and stuff from musicians that potentially change their careers change their lives and so on i was the cause of it and what was it over it was over money it was over sales it was it's over stuff that you know we we started our sports retail brand as such as the underdog you know nobody knew who we are it was like getting a new band and trying to tell the world about who you are and the thing with with like football clubs was if you have the idea they'll back you from the start that you know we had football clubs early on saying yeah we love the ideas we love what you're doing we want to license with you so they've licensed with us and they're still licensed with us now four years on but Mm -hmm. some months they won't sell many products they'll sell low sales because it's just been a quiet month there'll be other Mm -hmm. months where they sell thousands of products but in the music world, you know, you have a few months of poor sales. Bang, you're off the label. You're, you're off this tour. You're not selling tickets. True. You're not doing, you know, it's, it's such a quick cutthroat industry. Um, whereas I think with sport, it's a little bit more longevity and working at building something. And if the idea is there and everyone believes in it, they just keep pushing on with it, keep pushing on with it. And, um, and I guess that's where I say about, you know, I was potentially, I look back on my time in music and think, it's horrible because I should think about all the amazing tours and us on nightliners touring and stuff. I I think back to God, I see those, you know, there's I've managed bands where I've learned this week, that last week, the drummers, you know, committed suicide and stuff and their lives have changed drastically from music. And I look at people that they were very talented musicians, Mm -hmm. like ridiculously talented musicians. The bands were amazing. The music was amazing other people didn't see it quick enough Mm -hmm. so their career just ended and you know now they're mechanics and they're working in shops and stuff Mm -hmm. and whilst I'm not the cause of that of course because you know I'm not the market audience for their music but you kind of think to yourself like god did you know I dropped them off of the booking agency or the management roster and stuff and that was probably the 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 start of their demise and it's um yeah you have to kind of I think as I've got older that's changed as well like I can take that stuff when you were younger you know I was in my 20s working in music 20 from age 21 to 31 so I was in an era of my life where it was just like I think you go through music with it being about not about yourself but like you the music industry is an industry where you're continuously trying to grow a ladder like continuously grow a ladder you're never happy at where you're at Mm -hmm. It's always got to be, the next tour's got to be bigger. The next tour, we've got to sell more tickets. The next record, we've got to sell more records. It's always growth, 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 which is Mm great. But I think that potentially is where the toxicity comes from because nothing, when you're in music, nothing ever feels good enough because you can smash it. But the next one's got to be bigger. Um, True.
0: But let me, let me, let me, let me, let me, let's just put the foot on the brake for a second. Sure. Uh, I, I I love you. I, I, lo, I love the flow of words that's coming out already. But uh, let's first for the for the people um, that don't know who Carl Sewell is and why you're on this podcast. Because you're on this podcast because we've known each other um, for a while from the yep. past um, from music, obviously. But just just introduce yourself to the people and how you first got into the to the music scene. That's uh, we know each other from basically
1: so yeah i mean like i started in music as i had a full-time job and managing one of my friends bands um i always say that i went into management because i wasn't talented enough to play an instrument so yeah. was a, i couldn't be in a band so that was the next thing so how old were you then 18 17 18 yeah. because like, when we I,
0: met you were pretty young too weren't you
1: yeah probably 23 24
0: yeah how old are you now
1: Old enough. (laughs) Ah, You're not not as old as I am, so thirty-five.
0: Yeah, must have been about that age, yeah, twenty-two, twenty-three, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, so like I was, you know, just working a full-time job as a screen printer and helping a friend's band who were really good. And I had no idea what I was doing. It was the days back in MySpace, so I was just like sitting on MySpace every night, messaging promoters and record labels, and I wasn't even sending emails. And I guess, like in any form of industry, any form of life, you get lucky. And my friend's band that I was managing, um, I got them signed to Basic Records. what's so, said band? Uh, a band called Gehenna 777. <clears throat> so they were signed to Basic, which kind of, at the time, Basic were a head turner. And it kind of put... Suddenly, I was getting these MySpace messages from bands all over the country saying oh will you manage us because we're looking to get record deals and all this kind of stuff and I kind of was a little bit overwhelmed by it and so then I was like well maybe I do I I can do a job here so I took on a couple more bands and then started pushing that and then one day I think I was on my final straw with my full-time job because I was on my phone constantly and nipping out to take phone calls I just quit my full-time job and went for it so took on a few more bands and then the story just built from there I started with a um I started as a solo entity under a name called the Legacy Agency. And then over a few years, that became more and more popular. And then we joined with Transcend Music. So we became a part of a bigger entity that opened us up to internal releases with record labels and so on. So it just kind of built and it all started with picking up local bands. And, you know, someone once said to me, like, the benefit I had was that I didn't play an instrument. Because every time I heard a band, I just heard it as someone that goes into h and and buys a record. Mm. Um, I wasn't listening to the technical parts. And I was just listening to it from a buyer's perspective. As a fan, yeah. yeah. So, oh. <clears throat> and that's where I picked up While She Sleeps. You know, small band in playing Doncaster Rock Bar every couple of weeks. And I heard their music and was just like, yeah, you know, if I can put this in front of people, it will, it will it will sell ridiculously. And, you know, I took that band and then I think we filled the, they basically did what we call, what was the equivalent of a six month tour of the UK. They played shit. Six months in the UK. They played. they had days off of course, but they pretty much (laughs) lived on the road every other day, three day stints, four day stints, weekend as tours, all day festivals. Like they played any show for any fee. So even if the promoter said I can put them on, but I can't pay them, they took it and Mm. in six months they probably played you know they played over 100 shows and it was just putting them in front of people and then that six months came to an end and they got an offer to play Sonosphere Festival because everybody was talking about this band Mm. um and then it grew and grew and they went on to a bigger management agency and you know look where they are now you know they're um they're leading the pack and I think it's a case of Around that time as well, I was managing a band called Heights, and that's when I think just before that time is when I met you. When we booked a tour, a nightliner tour with a band I was working with called Shape by Fate.
0: Yes, Shape yes. by Fate. And okay. uh, what was what was another band that was on a tour? Uh, <sighs> okay. Something something with Coward.
1: Wait, oh, Heart of a Coward, of course. Heart, Heart, Heart of a Coward. Of tour yeah. yeah. Tour. So Heart of a Coward.
0: Did it did it did, it, did it, they split up and then become?
1: Hacktivist or something, or some of them? No. um the guitarist left Heart of a Cowards and formed Hacktivist. Heart oh. of a cowards was still are uh, still going now, I believe. Oh, okay. Uh Jamie Graham, when he left Silosis, joined Heart of the Cowards as a singer and um, you know, they went through some transition periods and I've worked with those o- those guys over the years quite a lot. And you know, Heart of the Cowards are probably the most talented musicians I ever worked with. And mm. um but yeah, that's when we came kind of together with uh, Born From Pain Tour, Shaped by Fate, Half a Coward, and it yeah. was um, an up and down tour. But it, was it, was, it,
0: was, it was especially a lot down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, that, that's okay. I mean, it was, it was a fun tour to do.
1: We had the Nightliner. That, it was comfortable. Yeah, <laughs> yeah
0: that, that was crazy. Being on tour of Nightliner in England was, was weird enough as it was, because, I mean, it's no secret to you that for mainland bands, England is not an easy market. No. So um, being just just going over there uh, I mean it, it used to be way better for bands like us around the turn of the century yeah. but uh, then after that gradually I mean it was more like yeah that 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 you know England was was very hard to play and I like, get good shows um, but yeah no that, that was an, uh, that was an experience. you remember that guy the 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 the, the, the bus company guy
1: <laughs> John. <laughs> Never <Yeah>. forget, John.
0: <laughs> yeah, did you did you uh, did I ever tell you the story about um, that? I When I started doing Madball tour management,
1: yeah,
0: I booked I booked I booked a, a nightliner with him.
1: Okay, did I tell yeah. you that story? No, 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 no.
0: I, I booked a nightliner with him, and uh, basically, I think one in like thirty-six hours before the tour starts. Europe, two and a half weeks. He goes, "Oh, I can't make it. I'm sorry." I'm like, what do you mean? I can't make it. I'm sorry. And he's like, no, no, <laughs> um, uh, my uh, my one of my drivers had an accident with one of my buses, and the other bus is on tour, and I can't. I try to get a new bus, and I never heard of him again. So he had to get a bus last minute. But then, I then I heard a little bit later he got caught with um, with smuggling uh, marijuana or coke across the channel.
1: Amazing. <laughs>
0: yeah, they uh, they, yeah. opened up, they opened up they up a sideboarding of the bus and. Um, he had all kind of stuff uh, stashed in there, so That's he beautiful. and he went. He went away for five or six years or something. Like someone sent me this article a year or two years later because we already did the down payment, and obviously there was nothing to be gotten back from this guy. So we were, um, we were basically, I was basically in the summer festivals, you know, walking around the car park, seeing if the, if, if he was there with his bus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but. Then someone, uh, a couple of people, you know, like uh, we're a little bit on the lookout for this guy and see if he's if he's around Europe. And uh, but then someone sent me an article saying, oh, "Is this the guy you're looking for?" It <laughs> <And they laughs> was the guy but got fucking caught.
1: He yeah, was, was a character. So- he was such a character, like on that tour. And I think I, I was looking through some photos the other day, and I saw a photo of him just kind of like laid on a sofa backstage, just kind of like he was just he was. I mean I wouldn't have changed it for the world. He was such a character. I even think one night of that tour you didn't
0: get he, ripped off. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, exactly. I didn't get ripped off, but one night of the tour I think he was like "Oh, just pay me half tonight because it was a slow show." Like he had no set business kind of yeah, procedures. That, uh, he just went with uh, the flow every day.
0: You you see what his business procedure was probably <laughs> yeah. or or that's the reason why he had to go do those things. Yeah, yeah he was a, he was a weird he was a weird one, huh? I remember I remember whenever we said, oh, after the show, please drive us to Tesco's, he would just drive us to Tesco's. Usually with Nightliners, you just don't drive in the car parks of the Tesco's. But you know? like. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, yeah, I don't know. They're weird. I never heard of it. I don't know if he still has a bus company. I don't think so.
1: No idea. Would you say UK is like the hardest territory you come up against?
0: Europe, probably, yeah. And Scandinavia.
1: Yeah, I mean, Southern
0: Europe is not easy, either Portugal, Spain, and Italy. But it's it's length better than. I mean, you can you can hit if you can uh, if you can get in a couple of good shows in the UK. That that's good, but headlining is hard if you're not American or English. Yeah. And also, um, the, the 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 whole problem with with England is at some point it just turned into um, hardcore. Let me put it this way: the kind of hardcore we play but it's like the heavier kind. It was like yeah. that That scene kind of concentrated around a couple of cities and you could play London and maybe Manchester and that that was it or maybe Leeds, but also those scenes, especially up north, turned a lot into, you know, like, uh, how should I put it? Maybe not a lead, but just not the kind of hardcore that we play and yeah. people were pretty, you know, I guess like close-minded to what they were into in that way so playing and playing good hardcore shows there became hard for a lot of bands that before had an easier time being there because when we started out like the most tours we played were in england and it was always great yeah just changed around to 2000 somewhere you know like 2001 2002 2003 might have been the last couple of years that you could play a decent um or that you could go to england with uh you know rest assured you had good shows
1: yeah and um
0: and I don't think it, it, it didn't really change now. Like there's a, there's a couple of exceptions, bands from from the mainland, but um, mostly it's a hard uh, it's a hard spot to uh, to play. Yeah, and if you I mean if we go into what you say, you know what I would call when you go into industry and like label politics and try to grow your band, and it's definitely extremely hard because you have to be you know in a certain mold. You have to be. Uh, Kerrang approved and
1: yeah, you know yeah, like a course. lot of
0: kids that look at that you know. <laughs> yeah so, no, it's
1: true. So that's,
0: that's- hard and, and that's what I understand but because when you were saying there's a lot of um, there's a lot of toxicity in that um, that's definitely true I mean if you go out and play hardcore and just go out and say okay let's play a show or metal or whatever you play and say I, I'm just going I'm just going play a show and if it's, if it's good, it's good. If not, then who the fuck cares? I'm out playing shows and that's what I want to do. It's all good. But if at a certain point you're trying to trying to build and you want to get a little bit further, and even if it's, you know, like you, you don't need to sell out to get further, but that, that's where the problem starts, you know. You don't necessarily need to sell out, but you have to be in with the right people. You have to you have the right people to do you a favor. Um,
1: <laughs> Definitely.
0: And, you know, like it's it's all about who I know or who you know. Who yeah, anyone knows, and it's kind of you know, like it's it's it's, and that's why that's why I'm saying you know, like not even taking a step back, but being still like, fully in it. You see, there's a lot of bullshit, you know, even on on yeah. a hardcore level, you know. So, and yeah, it it, get gets case, where, it gets it gets like... worse the bigger the industry is, you know.
1: Yeah, and what I found, like the more I look back on it, is the you obviously like within the music industry, you'll have like any industry, you'll have levels. Where, like, you've got your, your big labels, your medium labels, and your small indie labels, and so on. And when you get to that, you know, every band's dream is to be on the big labels, the big booking agencies, the big tours, because ultimately they're going to make money and do it for a living. Um, but the amount of people in that big section is quite small the ones that can click fingers and make things happen. And when you get a sniff, of an opportunity with someone in that big category as a, as speaking from me as a, when i was doing management mm. you know you get one of the big labels that can click their fingers and put the band you're managing on tour with mm. the big bands and big releases and big music video budgets and so on what i found is the people that came in that big category were usual usually absolute dickheads yeah. And I don't know whether it's because when you get to that level, because it's such gold dust to become that level, mm-hmm. you gain the ego with it. And suddenly I look back at all the times that and I'm sure you'll relate in some cases is like I look back on all the times at music festivals when you're backstage telling someone how awesome they are, how great their releases have been. How, but really, you think that you can't stand them. But yeah. you've got to tell someone how amazing they are and feed into them <laughs> to try and get that opportunity. Because ultimately, my career was to get my clients as such, my artists, as big as possible. Yeah, of and, course. And that's when I look back and realize I spent a decade of my life trying to make other people famous, other people more money. And realistically, I just kind of stalemated in the same position for 10 years because my whole life was devoted to getting other people up the ladder, not myself, mm-hmm. um, because people on the outside looking in would sometimes look at it and go, yeah, but if your artists are getting bigger and bigger deals and bigger labels and bigger tours, surely you're getting bigger. But the diff- <laughs> Where the contradiction to that is that not necessarily with yourselves, cause you, you are quite the opposite, but there's not much loyalty. In the music industry, a band will drop a manager at the click of a fingers if a bigger option comes along. Same Mm. for a booking agent, same for you know labels, not so easy, but you know, tour managers and so all this different stuff comes along. A bigger option comes along, they drop you and they just go to a a bigger option. And it's I think that's where I look back and go, as all my artists got bigger, I never really grew with them because Mm. then they would move on to because at the end of the day, I was a mid-level manager. There's, yeah, yeah. There are and, and raw it, powers and stuff above me that could literally just email a band and bang, you've lost them because you Yeah, it's, yeah that. That,
0: I, I see what you mean. That's a problem. instead of when you when you think I can grow with this band, because obviously if a band becomes band that sells out arenas, let's say, mm, yeah, and you're the manager. Obviously, you you raise your profile too. But it's exactly what you're saying because I've uh, I've managed a couple bands too uh, yeah. over the last decade. And um, no while she sleeps levels, but um, I mean, it, as soon as as soon as the band thinks, they see a better opportunity or they see something, you know, that someone else promises them that could be better. they. I mean, there's ways. I never got dropped in a shitty way, but um, yeah, of course. they definitely move on. And so th- there goes your chance to grow bigger, you know, and
1: I can totally see what you're saying. and Because you're then as- back to the bottom again because yeah, you have you to fight the new band and that rebuild, it. Heard of and rebuild yeah. all over again it's-
0: yeah and that ba- that band's not all of a sudden going to say okay um let's just talk about the money side of things um <laughs> then th- they're not going to say okay we are paying you more money now because you did a good job with this band they just they're just saying you know and you have to be fair towards a band too like if you're not making money i'm not making money that's the way it is so yeah and it's it, I don't know like th- that part you know like management and stuff um, I mean I do tour management for Madball which is which is cool and I mean the, 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 that's a whole different that's a whole different thing it's a whole different ball game and there's,
1: cool.
0: there's uh business wise but also on a friendship level that is that that is that is all very cool but um, I mean other than that I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't want to have to go through the Fucking an annoying, an annoying time of getting to learn to uh, learn to know people on the road just because I need to make a couple of bucks. Being away from home, especially—I mean, I turned fifty this year, and that's like I don't want to do that kind of shit anymore. I mean,
1: yeah, of course,
0: we we don't do half a year tours with the band anymore because we just don't want to do that anymore, you know. No, and and I'm. Not, and then I'm not going to go out with a with a pack of strangers, which might turn out to be nice people, but could also be the biggest assholes. Yeah. And and they might, you know, I might be sitting at a police station every night because people can't behave, you know. And yeah. um, I just want to live a rock and roll fantasy, and that's that's all good. But I don't want to be part of that. And also, what you were saying, I can, you know, like out of out of a band perspective. Uh, it's a little bit different but if you're in a management function yeah you will have to talk to people to get that band somewhere and sometimes indeed you talk to people and i wouldn't say suck up but you 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 know you you're trying to you try to do the best for your band and you yeah you know, you're trying to find ways into so these people you know at least uh, get you to a meeting and uh, yeah, at least you can maybe maybe they offer you a deal for a band or something you know or maybe you can get them with a booking agent that can get them on on, on, on the tours that the band deserves and that kind of shit, that kind of politicking, I'm so fucking tired of it. I don't even <laughs> want it. Like, like that kind of shit. Like, and as you say, call it toxic, call it, call it bullshit. call it disloyal people. But I mean, I've seen people work their ass off, like management-wise, band-wise, get promised a thousand things, and then the deal goes to some asshole that, uh, for whatever reason, has I don't know, I don't know, maybe, maybe. Hung at a bar with him for for uh, for an hour longer than you have, yeah. And uh, they had to cool a chat about nothing, and that's okay too. I know that's how deals are made, and I don't have a problem with it. it has happened to me in the past too, but on the other hand, that's too that's that is too much politics.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's no, something sure. that I
0: actually love for different things. So I was like, I I'm mean- done with. This.
1: You think back to like when we toured together on that tour with Shaped by Fate and so on. Like, do you yeah. think that era? And I mean, for you, you're you're older than me, not too much older, but a little bit older. Um, uh, Forty years. <laughs> you know. <laughs> you think back to that tour, for example, on that Nightliner, but probably even in a bit before that. Do you feel like those were the best tours of your life compared to the last five, six years, seven years, eight years?
0: Nah, I do have to say that, I mean, with all due respect, that, 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 you mean that era or you mean the DOS era?
1: Was, yeah, yeah, yeah. As we've got older and older and older, do you feel oh, like no, no, yeah. there's more no. politics in it? There's more, there's more people involved. There's more, yeah. it's, there's less fun. Definitely.
0: Definitely. I mean, when I, if I take a step back, you know, I mean, we, we don't do tour managers anymore. We don't do sound people anymore, you know, like we used to do that in the past. Uh, there was also more money coming in uh, yeah. to 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 have a budget for that but lots of times I don't want to even be my own tour manager anymore with, who at the end of the night goes and collects some money you know like yeah, I, yes. it's, I'm so over all the politicking and I'm so over having to discuss things with people that I don't even want to discuss you know and it's not because I feel like uh, oh, here's Rob France and the guy that shouts for a band, and he feels too good to do that. No, that's not it. I don't feel too good for that at all. I just, I'm just, you know, like if you know people and it's all good, it's cool. But there's also a lot of people you have to, you have to have a huge discussion with, you know. And yeah. uh, it, maybe your show didn't go so good. or can we maybe do less? Can we maybe do this? And then I am the singer of the band I just played. So that has now to plead his case, and and I can't say to every person every person i mean i can't say also to the exam person uh all right give me half of this money or whatever yeah it's a cool thing to do maybe at some points and it all depends on who it is and what it is where you're playing but mostly no and like that's not something i want to do also i don't want the politics of uh you know i mean as a band we got a writer and these are the small things you know and a writer is very very concise it's not a crazy ride it's just some drinks easy food it's like just you know what if you've driven for seven eight hours that you would expect of a, de- a decent human being to cater you with. you know
1: not and, in the uk <laughs> wow that's a
0: different story obviously <laughs> I, I i prefer to go to a pub in the uk anyways <laughs> yeah but, uh, no but and then you know like you as a spokesperson of the band has to discuss hey um there's no drinks or hey um we just driven eight hours we, we can't live on a very watery tomato soup we just need something substantial you know even if it's just a i don't know a black beans rice, or whatever the fuck it is you know but yeah, like
1: yeah.
0: and i i can't deal with with that anymore you know it's like it's it's people that obviously disrespect you as a band because if they do that they don't respect you because they they think well yeah of course I'm going to do it the cheapest way possible. Fuck these guys, even if they got a full venue. And then I'm like, and now I'm the, the, the you know, there's no buffer anymore for, between the band and a person like that, because everybody who plays in the band will know exactly. And You, maybe two people that did tour management or whatever, will know exactly what I mean. I mean, as a band, you don't want to be that person that does that because at the end of the day, this promoter is going to go to people and say, you those bands were assholes. They wanted this and this and this, but they don't tell them. Yeah. But I didn't give him anything after an eight hour drive. Yeah. And you're the asshole because you had to argue with the guy, you know, and I'm just, I'm just so done with that part. And that happens on every level that happens.
1: Yeah. That
0: happens actually even more on a very underground level. I appreciate it more. If people say, "Hey, you can come play. Uh, We can give you this money-wise. We can just give you watery tomato soup and uh, a bottle of water each. If that's what you want to come play for, then I make the decision. But don't say, um, I'll make sure that you have a decent dinner and a couple of decent drinks and then just fuck us off, you know?
1: Yeah, exactly. That's
0: that's, that's all good stuff I can deal with. And that's, you know, like on higher levels, to be honest, that might get better with those kind of things. But there's so much politics. It's... You know, getting on, getting on tours, when we started to grow as a band, getting on tours, I mean, once, once your initial hype is over, yeah, then, then, yeah. Then, then it gets even more politics, you know?
1: Yeah, it's, of course it does. And I, mean, like, I mean, we have to be honest as well, it probably comes down, a lot of it has to be done, come with age as well. I think as you get older as a person, your tolerance levels just go out the window and you're just like, I don't need to do this.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, that's 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 another part of it, and you know, and obviously also the scene since those days that you were talking about. Uh, I don't know uh, when did we do that? Two, two eight, two nine,
1: two 10 or something. Something like that. I've, yeah. I think I just got a flashback to me and you uh, because on that Born From Pain tour, I had one night off in Wolverhampton, and we went to a club night and. I was oh. absolutely paralytic. <laughs> Me and you were walking down the streets in Wolverhampton with traffic cones, and, yeah, I just yeah, got yeah. a flashback to that tour. <laughs>
0: yeah, I remember we went to a dance hall event,
1: didn't
0: we? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> That was great. Yeah, oh, my God. But I yeah, went four, five
1: years later with another band. It was, um, I can't remember what tour it was, but I went on and t- um, with one of my bands on their tour maybe four, five, six years later, and it was nothing like that the whole kind of touring vibe had changed. And obviously that comes down to character of the band, of course. Yeah. um,
0: You you want to say it was less fun, don't you?
1: It was less fun. A lot (laughs) less fun. It was a lot bigger, but it was a lot less fun. Um, Do
0: you you still play Mafia?
1: No. I I can't (laughs) even remember how to play it. But it's funny you say that, because I think, um, God, it must have been three, four years ago. I think we were on holiday or something, and we were playing card games and then i was googling how to play mafia because i was just like i played this game once and it's amazing but i can't remember how to play it
0: (laughs) that was that was fucking great i remember everybody at a certain point how many dates were on the tour 11 or 12 or something
1: 11 i think yeah
0: Yeah, and, and after half of the tour we saw okay this 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 tour kind of yeah this this tour is not great? <laughs> yeah, everybody. Everybody was more stoked on getting in a bus, getting the Tesco, playing cards. Yeah, playing <laughs> and playing Mafia that was the best
1: thing. Getting oh paid every God. day to sit and just play cards. Yeah.
0: yeah. Oh my God. No, but yeah, as, as you say, you know, like so you were, um so you were doing management. So w- when did the breaking point come when you said, uh, "I I seen enough of this. I don't want to do this anymore"?
1: Um, it was actually nothing to do with music. It was my daughter. So my little girl was born and when she turned one, mm-hmm. I just woke up one day and went, I can't do this anymore. I, I just can't do this. Like, I, you know, she, a year had gone. I, I, luckily, I saw her first steps, saw her first words. I was there and stuff. But then I was... I think at that point, like when I left the industry, the people I worked with were quite surprised because I was at a pinnacle point of like I was a mid-sized manager, ready to kind of even go up another level. I was having conversations with big management agencies in the big levels that wanted to bring me into their agencies and stuff. But um, you know, one of them was one of them was a agency that manages you know one of the biggest bands in the world, and they were like, "Can you fly over to LA for a meeting?" And I was just like,
0: "What no. company was that?"
1: Um, five B, I believe. Whoa, nice uh, so we were chatting with them, and they were like, "You know, can you?" I'm not the person I was speaking to was like, "I was, you know, I'm not in the country in the UK for a while. Can you fly out to LA?" And I think it was at that point I was just like, "If I take that next step, I've really got to commit my life mm. to this." And you know, I took some reflection time, and then I woke up one day and just went, "I don't want to do this. I just mm-hmm. I'd rather be around for." I'm not making ridiculous amounts of money um every month is up and down constantly and i was just like it's time to focus on her and build a future for her so i literally woke up emailed all my artists and my the agency i worked for and was just like i'm out it's it's as simple as that like if mm-hmm. i'll be on emails for the next two weeks to wrap up stuff that we're working on and anything you need from me i'll always be a phone call away if like it's something you need from me mm-hmm. but As of today, I'm out, like, and so I turned my back on it and I went back to my roots. I'm a qualified graphic designer. So I went and took a job. I actually know after that, I went and worked for, um, for six months. I took a six month placement at a company called soccer six, Mm -hmm. um, which was an event company that put on football tournaments for celebrities and so on to raise money for charity. Mm -hmm. They wanted to bring in more musicians as opposed to tv people and so on so they brought me in and then i got them loads of musicians for the events and so on um and then i just went and did graphic design at a recruitment company it was Mm -hmm. nine to five i knew what i was getting paid every month it was simple and i just focused on my daughter um and then i think it's just in my character i just got bored (laughs) i was just oh yeah but,
0: <laughs> but but in all but in all honesty, I mean, when you're used to running your own business, when you're used to being your own boss, basically, I mean, yeah, it's nice to know that you got a certain paycheck in the mail at the end of the yeah. month, and it's that's great. But in all of honesty, course. that's yeah. But it also, is. like, I feel like everybody I know who does their own thing, who's not working, and this is no disrespect to people who don't do that. Obviously, like yeah, if you yeah, if you're good at working a job and it makes you happy, hey, more power to you. But I'm always like I want to see what I've accomplished. I want to I want to I want to I want to have to t- I want to take a step back and look at what I've accomplished, but also, you know, like I'm if I fuck up, I can only be angry at myself, you know.
1: Of course. And, of course.
0: And that's what I, that, I I can't let someone else's um uh someone else's actions or someone else's decision uh shape my fate, you know?
1: yeah and it's like you know i worked for this recruitment agency just designing leaflets and posters and website graphics and stuff and it was easy i got really bored and then i actually got made redundant from there because they got rid of the whole marketing department yeah Um, and then the weirdest thing was two days later the same recruitment agency rang me back and said this is really weird but one of our clients are looking for print and design manager obviously we've made you redundant." yeah are you looking for a job because we can (laughs) put you forward for it so I was like yeah Yeah. obviously I need a job Mm -hmm. um they put me forward for it and it was actually with a fashion brand so I took the job I went through two interviews got offered the job and I was a print and design manager for a fashion brand did that for two and a half years um and then whilst I was there I was bored again because I was working for someone else making someone else rich and making someone else better and bigger and so on and then in the background we started the terrace and we started building the terrace and you know so again another full-time job nine to five paycheck at the end of the month but i'm constantly on my phone yeah building something and doing my own business and so on um and then again two year no year and a half ago now something like that i hit that point and it was like literally i was 33 ish And it was like looking at 19-year-old me again, of I'm in a full-time job, something's brewing. At some point, I've got to take that leap and just leave the full-time job and do my thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And we built the terrace to a stage where I could financially comfortably quit the full-time job and just run the terrace full-time. So yeah, it was quite the process and quite the journey after leaving music. But I think those, say, three to four years of just doing the nine to five getting the paycheck at the end of the month it was great because it gave me security and it let me focus on my daughter and just kind of like enjoy her first few years but at the same time it gave me that thump in between the back of the shoulder blades to be like this isn't you you're not happy like you need to do something and that's where the terrorist was born.
0: So it confirmed to you that you actually had to go back to how you started, but yeah. just not in the music industry, just, not just doing music, something
1: different. Yeah, yeah, hundred yeah, percent. So,
0: so do you feel like um, do you feel like starting the terrace and uh, developing that whole thing? Um, now, let me start. Let me start the question differently. Um, so, do you feel that? All the experience you've 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 had in music, uh, having to uh, having to fend for yourself, having to try to find openings, having to uh, t- try to create things um, where people, you know, where you basically had to do a lot of stuff yourself, the whole th- the do-it-yourself thing. Do you think that helped you immensely by 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 starting the terrace?
1: Massively, massively, yeah. because you know, it's it's shaped by fate's a great example. We released a DVD, a live DVD of one of their concerts, and we i remember we released this dvd we sold we thought we'd sell 50 we sold like 350 and i sat there in my living room with the discs. i got the discs burnt and printed Mm -hmm. i got the silver tins they came in ordered blank then i got the flyer inserts done separately then i got the stickers that went onto the tin done separately and i sat there in my living room and built 350 of them myself. There was no production factory for a record label doing it and so on. Sat there, and then I went down the post office with 350 DVDs and posted them at the post office. And I think, and you'll remember in the DIY days and stuff, you know, ordering in your T-shirts, doing pre-orders and stuff, and then bagging them yourself and shipping them out. I think doing all of that is what the Terrace was built on, because we started with...
0: Did you start doing that yourself at the Terrace too?
1: Yes, uh, uh, I'll, I'll it, yes, it, and no. Like it's the terrace is a not a weird business setup, but it's a futuristic business setup that we don't actually carry any stock. We print to order. Yeah. yeah. So we've got over five thousand products on our store, and someone will go on today buy something, and then the guys in the other room will print the artwork. The guys downstairs will print the product, and then we'll ship it to the customer. And we've developed this whole process so that we have no stock risk, no dead stock. We take no risks. You know, we've built this business and not invested a penny of our own money because when we set it up, it was all through on-demand printing. But Mm -hmm. what we realized was that again, like when you're working for someone else, when that's the process, you're not in control. If someone's orders late, it's out of your control. It's because someone that you're relying on isn't doing their job properly. And, So that's when, so that was the first year of the terrace. But then is when I call it became a proper business is we start bringing stuff in house. So Paul and I, my business partner, we, he lives up North. I live down South. We both had a mug press and a sublimation printer in our house. So orders would come in and we would split the orders between the two of us. And I would be sat in my living room at my house, printing people's orders, pressing them and shipping them out to the customers and it almost felt like I was back in that era of selling yeah. band merchandise and yeah. so on and but we you know and I was working the full-time job when we were doing that so I was like working nine to five in the full-time job home at five and then I'd work until about two o'clock in the morning doing the terrace and then I'd go to bed for a few hours then I'd go and do it all again five days a week and then it was so it was very much like the band days where you're just working round the clock to kind of make more money essentially because if you're doing it yourself you're making more money and now it's at a point where you know we were operating on one mug press each and now everything spiraled very quickly with the, we were and we weren't expecting it um we're now into our third property upgrade we've got instead of one mug press we've got 18 downstairs that all do two mugs each so i can print 36 mugs at once and there's flat presses flat beds there's all this machinery downstairs. Um, we've got nine members of staff, you know, and to think a year and a half ago, just over, we were running the whole business out of my living room in Mm. the corner of my living room. It's just, yeah, it's unbelievable. And yeah, we probably got lucky, but it's, it's not necessarily luck. It's an idea that we had the way we did things, the way our ethos behind the brand fans latch onto it and fans love it. And it's because it's football fans, ultimately in control it's not ivory towers and some guy in a suit at the top of a tower just Mm -hmm. calling the shots and um so yeah it's kind of like it it still does feel like the band-aids because we do stuff in-house that i've got you know i look over my computer now and i can see one one of the guys is you know taking photos of products that we're putting up like clearance products that we've got spare stock of to sell off and so everything's done by us in the building so yeah it's like having a band set up again, but uh, just a big band set up doing it all yourself.
0: (laughs) No, but uh, I mean, that's cool. I think that's, that's actually, uh, invaluable, uh, knowledge that you gained over the years, because that also comes with, um, I've noticed working, uh, in a couple of, uh, fields that I make my money with, um, that without having that background, or you see some people that don't have that background that, um, that don't know how to quickly troubleshoot a situation, salvage a situation. Um, think very flexible. Uh, are willing to 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 go DIY on certain things. They don't even yeah. know what that is. Oh, I have to put something together. How the fuck do I even do that? Where do I get? Where do I get this from and that from? You know. And I think it's very valuable, and that's something you don't get a diploma for, or you get uh, you know a high school or university certificate, and those are all things that I think for people that really uh, embedded, have that embedded in themselves through all the years that have been working in that way, um, you you, 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 you can really notice that. And I, I see a big leg of that sometimes when you work with, well, they would call themselves very professional companies where I'm mm-hmm. like, well, you're just professional if you can do anything by the book but as soon as it goes a little bit out of the box you're having the biggest problem in the world solving a problem and it's yeah. so easy to do you know and that's why I think you know a lot of the success maybe might come from in your case too you know
1: yeah and I think it's like you know there's there's competitor brands as you call them that do some they don't do similar products to us but they do licensed merchandising for football clubs that's not through the club shop and just to interrupt you
0: there for a second call yeah. Um, for the people, I don't know what the terrace is because I'm not sure whether we uh, clearly explained. You guys do license merch for
1: football yeah, clubs so in England? We do. We work. We are a fan, a fan, in, a fan and kit culture inspired football merchandise mm-hmm. store. So think of your football club's club shop, but with items you actually want to buy. Yeah, but so in cool. Yeah, yeah cuz like with a club shop and there's no disrespect to football clubs but a club shop is club badge repeated on 700 products yeah that's it, that's it and it's and we felt, we kind of took a look at this and went, but not you know 75% of football fans don't actually want to buy that because oh. they don't want everything with the badge on constantly so we've created this kind of football culture store that is based heavily around nostalgia and retro football um kit patterns and that kind of stuff and we do limited a lot of limited edition releases and different kind of products where we tap into chance fan you know locations of stadiums and historic results and nicknames and player Mm -hmm. nicknames and all that kind of stuff and we've created a monster really of like this store where we're licensed now with we sell merchandise for every football club However, if they're not, if we're not licensed with the club, we won't include their badges, their name, and stuff like that to protect trade, to respect trademarks. And but we are now licensed with, I think, thirty-two football clubs, um, and we've got we've now just taken on a commercial executive who's going to be who is working solely on getting us new licenses. So we hope by the end of the year we'll be on forty to forty-five. Um, with the end goal being that we're licensed with every football club. Um, nice. But where our success has been is that you take any business that wants to work with football clubs and do football merchandising, they want Man United, Liverpool, Man City, Chelsea, Arsenal. They want the big guns. Mm -hmm. Because they think that if they've got those clubs on board, they're going to make millions of pounds. Mm -hmm. And it's the furthest from the truth ever. Because if, let's say, you're a West Ham fan or a Liverpool fan or a Manchester United fan or whatever... If you type in, say for example, Manchester United mug on eBay, there are thousands, and I mean thousands. If you type in Oldham Athletic mug, there's thirty, and they're all from the terrace. (laughs) Yeah, no, exactly. (laughs) So it's we've kind of gone big six, top half Premier, you know, you know. We'll focus on that at a later date. Right now, what I'm interested in is EFL, English Football League. So I want League mm-hmm. 2, League 1, the Championship. You know, we've got League 2 clubs with average average attendances of 6,000 people outselling Premier League clubs who have average attendances of 60,000 people. And that's because, um, you know, you know how football pyramids work and so on. And, you know, as you get lower down the football pyramid, budgets get tighter. Oh, club, yeah. shop, club shops are smaller. The ranges are smaller. Everything 's safe because they have to make their money back because they can 't afford mm. to lose money mm. and suddenly we 're releasing all this kind of what you know inverted commas cool merchandise and stuff, but for a club whose fan base would never have dreamt that they would see it um, you know we 're releasing retro shirts for clubs in League two level and stuff, and the fans just kind of latch onto it because it 's something that they don 't want to take for granted because it 's not they've ha- they 've supported the club for twenty years and never seen merchandise like this before whereas... Yeah,
0: I, I totally get that i totally get that but, but what i always think is weird is like um because what you're doing there i'm doing basically for uh just my hometown team
1: yeah, yeah, trying,
0: yeah. To, trying to make the, the the cooler fan base merch you know and like that's not that's not available in the shop and that's going very well so i know exactly what you're saying and i know exactly uh i mean it's not a formula it's just I just go by and this is what I get from you too. I just basically, I just basically produce and have ideas for what I would want to wear. You
1: know, it's exactly. It's exactly that.
0: And I mean, yeah, it's nice to have a, of course. Yeah. Sometimes I buy uh sometimes I buy a official short or a, or a, or a, or a, or a how you call it? Or a, a replica shirt or whatever, yeah, you know, yeah. or a, whatever shirt when it's on sale in the store, because it, I certainly don't want to pay 70 pounds for a shirt. But, um, Sure, you do that. I might you might wear it on the beach sometimes, or sometimes at home. But you know, like that's not what I want to wear to match it, So that's not what I want to wear out there in the in the in the in the, in the regular world.
1: Exactly. And
0: I totally see that. And especially when you got teams that no one ever gave a shit about, commercially speaking, I can yeah. see how that's uh that that's a great idea. The only thing I'm always like, is there no one at the club itself that has had this idea yet? But seemingly, no. No, you
1: it's, know, it's it's because. When you're, when And I you're, don't even
0: mean the executives at the club, right? I mean someone...
1: Well, they have is, retail managers. They all have a retail manager. But,
0: but I just, mean like people like you and me. You know, like, is there no one who, who's, who's like a huge Skontorp fan that says, hey, um, I'm going to do exactly what the terrorist does and not because you do it, but I had that idea before because that's what I want to do, but seemingly not.
1: Yeah, most so. I deal with retail managers of football clubs and all of them want to do the stuff that we do. Hey. Where, where the issue comes is that they are given a budget for the season. So here is your budget of £30,000 to buy stock for the club shop. Yeah. But you must triple the money. Mm-hmm. You must triple it. So do they take, So we'll use Oxford United for example. Do they take thousands of pounds worth of stock that's got the club badge on because they know it is going to connect with every single fan no matter what? Or do they take, like, there's one of the Legends mugs I know people listening won't be able to see, but that's a yeah. Les Robinson hand-drawn Legends mug. Yeah. Do they take, a, do or do they take that stock? The issue with that stock is it's not going to connect with every fan because people under 24, 25 won't know who he is. Yeah, exactly. And what they don't want is to get to the end of the season and have to be selling it all off cheap to get mm-hmm. rid of the stock out of the store. So they have to play it safe. But that's where we step in because we're on demand. So it's like, you know, I say to our clubs, I could upload 5,000 products tomorrow. makes no difference to me because I'm only printing what sells. And um, that allows us to be, one, a little bit, well, very much outside the box. Two, we can take risks. We can say, I don't know if it'll sell. It might either sell thousands or it might sell none. Yeah. But we can take that risk because we're not investing any money into it. But the biggest part that has built this brand is it allows us to be reactive. So we can do stuff like it wasn't even football, but like England were playing cricket a couple of years ago in the final and they were looked like they were going to lose and so on. And they pulled it back and like in the last overs of the cricket, Ben Stokes hit a six or something. I don't know too much about cricket, but <laughs> no, me <neither>. he hit, <laughs> but he won the final for them or the yeah. Ashes or whatever it was. Within 10 minutes of it finishing and them lifting the trophy, I had a kit mug of Ben Stokes's shirt with Stokes 55 on the back. And, you know, we sold 200 in an hour. And it only happened 10 minutes ago Mm -hmm. because we can then tap into live hashtags, we can tap into current trends, emotions, everything. And that's you, your massive. uh, you know, you're a massive fan of football as well. And you know, football, a dominance of it is built on emotion. It's mm. Everything's built on emotion and the connection. And when is better to sell a product than during the emotion? Mm. Rather than, if, some, if something happens and then the football club is going to take them two weeks to design it, get a quote signed off by the CEO, yeah. order the stock, release the stock. Two weeks later, whatever happened, nobody cares anymore. True. And that's, yeah, no, you're that's right. With it, and that's where we have changed the market a little bit.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, you would you you would think that big football clubs would be would be thinking more like that, but seemingly they don't, huh? I no, do. They it's,
1: it's, no, they don't. It's it's they have to play. It's when you go into you know a mega store for a huge club, it is just constant club badge on it. You know, you take Manchester United; it's everything's red and everything's got the badge on. But that's because you have to cater for tourism sales, people. Oh, of course. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's a whole different ball game, and you have to play it safe with that kind of stuff. But I'm, I'm not going to say that we, we... Our goal with this company was to disrupt. And it sounds quite aggressive, but we wanted to disrupt, and we wanted to force football clubs to change, and we wanted to be like, you know, fans are, are bored. Fans are bored. A merchant, you're asking fans to buy things that they technically don't want. Mm. and we wanted to cause mass disruption and it's been two three years since we've been of a decent size and whilst it's not just us but i think we've achieved it mm. we've got you know our licensed clubs now are buying in our stock for the club shop so most of our clubs that we're licensed with now have a terrace section in the club shop so it's got our heading mm. brand in and it's got all of our products and they're just constantly ordering updates because they just keep selling it so then the more it sells, the more demand there is, the more products they'll, they'll do. And our aim there is that we can eventually have a dominance of products in a club shop and you'll, you'll walk into a club shop that is evidently partnered with the Terrace and it's like no club shop you've ever seen before. It is just amazing stuff that you want to buy. Um, so we're causing that disruption. I think you can see that in one of the big talking topics with our brand is kits because a lot of our, pro- our products are kits patterns and you'll remember back in the 90s how kits were crazy and they were so bespoke to the club and like everything was so unique you hit the year 2000 um, I'll send you you, it might be a website you've seen before but there's a website where you can type in any club and see every kit from every season a photo Mm -hmm. of every kit when you hit no matter what team you look at when the year 2000 hit they all just went and it all went blank. It was just like plain blue, plain white, plain red, boring shirts, and it was like that for ten to fifteen years. Um, and now, and it's, it still goes on to today, really, because you'll see clubs, and I'm sure you see it in your leagues and stuff. You'll see clubs with the same kit but in different colours because they're buying mm. from the same supplier that are providing the same shirt in a different colour. It's, it's cheaper, and. What we've noticed this season and last season is a lot of the major suppliers, your Nikes, your Adidas, your Puma, they've started going back to bespoke kind of unique design kits. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that we've caused that, but us and along with a multiple of other companies that are pushing for this new theme and this new idea to football merchandising, I think it has made the big guns turn heads and kind of go, we need to step up. Otherwise, Mm. 10 years down the line, these smaller companies are going to over not overtake us. You're never going to overtake Nike and Adidas, but they're going to be causing us more competition. And at the end of the day, the bigger companies, they don't want the competition.
0: No, no, no. They want to keep their revenue as it is or bigger, obviously. Of course. Um, You you, you were saying uh, at the beginning that um, message and value-wise... You said um, you found when you left uh, music uh, to work with or to work in. Mm-hmm. You, you felt like that was um, message and and, and value wise uh, not as good as what you're doing now. You you said to the people I work with now at football clubs uh, that uh, I like the message better. Um, it's I don't know if you could call it more. Um, uh more real or whatever you want to call it um mm-hmm. how do you elaborate a little bit on that because um, I actually personally think that especially with 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 underground music scenes like underground rap underground metal underground hardcore and punk there's actually when you look at the people that that are um what what nowadays executive executives calls legacy fans mm-hmm. yeah, crazy yeah, 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 crazy yeah, yeah. enough. Uh, you, when you really love a club you're not a legacy fan you're not a regular fan anymore um, yeah. but the people on the terraces the people uh, that really live the club a lot of I, I feel like there's a lot of parallels between that in dedication there's a lot of parallels in that with um, the, the willingness to stand and fight for something yeah. uh, sometimes even literally um, uh, and, and this this is this is a parallel that I see in, in, in both those things so that's why I think it's those two things, although a lot of people don't see it, I think those two things are a pretty good match. But when we're talking, obviously, about the industry above it, in football and in music, we're talking a whole different thing. So elaborate on that.
1: So you, I, I couldn't agree with you more. When you take football fans, the fans we deal with, the fans we speak to on a daily basis and so on, it's like being back in the underground music scene. You know, they're the mm. ones that are on the terraces, they're stood in the rain watching the team, and that's what we're built on. That's who we are. And we want to build a big brand that has that underground value of we are never too busy to reply to your tweet on Twitter. We're never we will have a conversation with you. You can drop me an email about sponsoring your kids' football team and if I can help I will and it's all that kind of stuff. Where my my comments regarding like dealing with people, uh, more towards with dealing with people. So I find I can get su- a lot more success in emailing a football club's retail manager than if I than back in the day when I was emailing an A and R representative from a record label. Because I feel like in in football they just don't carry that ego. And what I think I think where that comes from is, let's say I'm emailing Oldham Athletic. Mm -hmm. they know that there are 23 other teams in their league that are the same level as them. They're in the Mm -hmm. same league. They're not the big I am. They're not the small I am. There are 24 teams, 20 teams in each league, and there are people the same size as them. There's also a league above them. There's also a league above them, but -hmm. there's also a league below them. Mm -hmm. And I think in music, when... So when I'm emailing a big club or a big-ish club, it's they want to listen. They want to hear what you've got to say because ultimately they have this together. We can kind of make some waves and make some movements because the club can't do everything Mm themselves. Whereas in music, you email a big ish record label and you're instantly hit with an ego. You know, some of the replies I received in music were just unbelievable, absolutely unbelievable. And, you know you'd get replies that don't even use punctuation and grammar they're just like no this is shit and, it's like, and that's from a major record label yeah like, and it's just like sorry what i've just yeah. spent two hours drafting you a structured email with links and fo- everything and you yeah. send me back four words like and it's <laughs> but, and in football you just don't get that there's no ego there's no egotistic kind ofness of going but well, why would i want to work with you i'm, I'm we're West Ham United. Do you know who we are? We're massive. Like, why would I want to listen to this small little company? There's none that you don't get that in football um behind, like, with the industry side of things. Um, it, do you also th- do you also think that's due to you now
0: offering them something that they can actually, well,
1: make yeah, money on? Something they want. Yeah, they probably want because, yeah, there, because, because when difference. you're mailing
0: them with a yeah because mailing them with a band see if you would be the manager of say I don't know fucking Metallica yeah obviously you you get you they roll out the red carpet for you too and a music course. Uh, as a music whatever but no I, I but but I do have to I'll let you continue in a second obviously but I, I, I do I have the same experience when I talk to the club here um it's, it's, it's been a massive uh it's been a massive uh mess at the club for years so it's hard to find someone who eggs can speak to got reorganized so yeah but yeah. When, when you when you talk to these people now uh people are actually willing to listen people are actually willing to see um uh, how they can work together and uh yeah with a lot of labels it's just not like that you know and it's it's uh, it's a lot of instant gratification. Can we sell this band now? Can we make money with them now? Can we sell our records now? If that's It's like you said in the beginning, if that doesn't happen within now and the next uh, six months, which is even a very long time for a record label, then this is of no interest to us.
1: Exactly. There's right? no longevity in it. No. It's just, you know, it's like I need to make money now. If they're not making me money, drop them, find the next one. There's no real <clears throat> kind of forward yeah. plan. You know, I... I We've got, you know, there's one football club that we're announcing plans with today. And there's clubs Who? that we do deals with. Oh, I can't say. <laughs> it's a secret. No, it's a, this, this won't go out. When does this go out? This goes out probably day after tomorrow. Oh, okay. That's fine. So today we announce um, National League team, Yeovil Town. Oh, so Yeovil Town right. are a, what I consider a big club in a, mm. in a league that they're too big for. So they were in League 1, League 2, they went up to the Championship at one point. And then, I don't know enough about all the situations and everything, but they've kind of like just spiralled down and down. And now they're in the in National League. Um, so um, their obviously aim right now is to be coming back up. But the fan base is huge. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> we've got the announcement of those later on today. But it's like when we do deals with these clubs, it's like, I had a phone call with one club yesterday that we're trying to do a deal with. And it was like, okay, so sign the paperwork today. Tomorrow I'll get the design team working on these products. Then we'll set a day for launch and we'll launch those products. Then at Christmas we'll release this limited edition item idea that I had. And then next summer we will look at doing this range. And, you know, when we do a deal with a club, we're talking plans for the next two to three years Mm -hmm. when you and you can't do that in music you just can't do it because you're trying to say you say to a record label "Oh, this is their album now they're currently writing a new album that is even better and that will be ready in nine months and then they're going to record a video and the record label will just stop you and go no no i just what can we release now like they're not worried about the next thing because it's like if this rec- if this record you're giving me now doesn't sell they're not going to get a chance on the next yeah, record exactly. anyway and it's mm. you know where's that you know m- loyalty maybe isn't the wrong word to use but the I feel like in music people just aren't given the chance and maybe there isn't enough platforms to give them the chance i don't know it's there's only a i think in music and and in sport retail and sport in general like music fans don't see what goes on behind you know one of the things that does annoy me at the same time regarding music is actually the other side is actually with music fans. And, you know, you read a lot of, you know, and this is, these are just Facebook posts and tweets and all this stuff, but you see some kind of fans that try and come down quite hard on labels or tours and all this kind of stuff. And then you'll see also artists that will say like, Um, I'm trying to think of the best a really random example is, and it's obviously mainstream level, was like Lady Gaga Mm -hmm. so I saw something with Lady Gaga, obviously the most non-hardcore metal person ever, but (laughs) it was I saw her an interview with her where she spoke about how she was free now. She's not going to be releasing this through labels anymore. I oh, they've leached me for this money and I've not got this, and I'm not gonna be doing perfume releases no more because I was contracted to do it for licensing of my name and mm-hmm. I'm not doing perfume releases anymore, blah, 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 blah. That is a great attitude to have. But it's mm-hmm. a very easy attitude to have after a record label has risked their money on your first record paid for you to have the best producers, the best recording studios. It's all right to say that after you've released five perfumes and got 10 million in the bank from it. Yeah, of course. You get what I mean? And I find that a lot in music, That a lot of bands will grab every opportunity they can get And they forget that ultimately a record label is investing their money. What's in their business bank account, because they believe your record can do well. So yes, I believe that it's a, it's a catch 22 because I believe that record labels should try and introduce more longevity, but also respect has to be given back to record labels that ultimately they've risked their money and stuff. And it's very easy to, when you get big, then go, Oh, record labels take all our money and they do all of this and they do this. We're not working with labels. It's very easy to do that. Once you've, got to where you need using record lackey balls yeah,
0: labels yeah that, 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 you're absolutely right about that i mean the, the, there's two sides of the coin you know i mean the, the the record label can be annoying and obviously there's a lot of artists or there's a lot of record labels or a good amount of record labels that don't treat the art as well yeah that's a fact it's the other way around as well you know i mean you see it especially in in, in underground as well i mean i've i've worked with theo with gsr for a while
1: oh amazing like
0: yeah and uh, and the thing is you know like uh, yeah sometimes he does more than he needs to do for a band but it's a small label you know and then bands expect more and more and more yeah, we're the band we're the band yeah but it has to be realistic still you know yeah, yeah. And, and for and for artists that you're talking about that get on a certain level, how many artists signed a fucking um, a 360 deal? So yes. they sign away the rights on their merch, on some of the tour income, on on, on the, the income on their records, on anything that they basically can make money with, they sign away the rights and they do that um consciously. They do that to get a cash
1: injection because they want that yeah they, that we're yeah, gonna play all of those rights off you for twenty million dollars. And then they're like, yeah. Brilliant, I've got twenty million dollars. But when they've run through that, suddenly yeah. it's like our oh, labels are terrible they're taking all my money it's like well no they gave you the money for it in advance they risked yeah. their money for it and and
0: even, and even if they made triple or four times the money back as a label you know even gambling. if they did that they're gambling with it yes yeah. but well, even then <laughs> even then if you if you think if you would have a super cool label that says hey we'll give you a part of this as well i mean you signed a contract like i mean I, I I can't stand it when people say yeah, but we signed a contract, but we didn't know this was this, this was that.
1: That's and, your or, problem. <laughs>
0: that's your problem. Yeah. And if you had a lawyer or a manager that you let it, let them handle it, then you hired the manager or the lawyer to send to to, to sign that for you too and okay that for you. So
1: how many times have you heard say, "Oh, we don't make no money because we have to." We have to pay our manager twenty percent, and our booking agent twenty percent, and then the label take twenty percent of the tour merch. And you know, bands will always tell you about, "Oh, we don't make no money because we've had to pay our cut for this, and a cut for this, and a cut (laughs) for this." But what they don't, what artists will forget um, quite regularly is that, like you, you kind of said it earlier, and it made me think of it. Is like when you said, you know, managers a lot of the time is like, "Well, if the artist isn't making money, I'm not making money." yeah so it's yeah you're giving them a cut of your tour income and your show fees and so on but they've also spent the last three months putting this whole thing together Mm -hmm. for nothing yeah because you weren't earning in those months so you weren't they put all the work in. i think a lot of the time the work that a manager a booking agent a tour manager all these people the work that is done is completely forgotten it's only thought of when the band is on tour when the band is selling records Mm -hmm. they don't they forget very easily that there's a six-month period between a tour and a new record release or whatever where the manager's having to literally manage their lives on a daily basis of press and this and that and everything. But they're not getting paid. And yes. It's, it's, they're riding it's,
0: it. Yeah, it's just, it's just ridiculous. I have to laugh even on an on, on ho- uh, underground level. Sometimes Do you find it
1: weird, though? Do you find that concept weird that a manager or a booking agent or so on will earn 20% of the band's income from what the manager gets them when the manager is working seven days a week, 24 hours a day, because what other industry or what other job titles and so on work in that manner where you don't get paid for the work you're doing. You only get paid once results in money. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's true.
1: Yeah. But on the other hand, on the
0: other hand, there would probably not a lot. There would probably not be a lot of managers if you would have to, if they would actually have to pay for it, because not a lot of people would have the money for it, not a lot of bands would have the money for it. But that's where it comes in. What you said before, it's it's a gamble. Also, it's a gamble, basically for basically for for everybody. You know, like you hope that someone like you, what you would do ten years ago, would help you to get to a next level by which it is worth investing in you or investing yeah, the money yeah, that yeah. you that that you have to give to you. And the label is, uh, is is taking a gamble, maybe on something, but because it is mostly a gamble. If it's a new band, so you never know. A trend might be over in half a year, and you know, like yeah. you know, how quick it went with new metal bands or other bands. You sure. know, like that that trend is over now. You have signed a band for five records because that first record went immensely well. You 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 you, you paid them in advance, an immense advance. And now the rest of the records you can basically shelf because they're not going to they're not going to pay anything anymore. So everybody's taking a risk, kind of. Um, you're taking a risk as a manager because if you can't make that money for them, you're not making that money yourself either because you get paid a percentage. Of so. It's always a big gamble, but I have to. I Sometimes I don't know. I have to laugh or or, or cry when I sometimes hear also underground bands say, "Yeah, and then we're on tour, and then we have to pay this and this and this, and uh, uh what do we have to pay for all these things?" Although, how do you think you get around Europe? Yeah, by foot. By foot. <laughs> like obviously, you pay for a bus or a van. But that's why I like, and this is why I'm probably still working also for Madball. I mean, with friends, but they're also very realistic and they're going to get into their business but i mean of ba- ba- bands like bands like bands like that will always they're, they're smart enough old enough uh savvy enough to know i can drive around the world in a nightliner all day every day but that also means i make less money a day and those are guys that say well i'd rather save some more money and then go go drive around in a van because but i think they're and,
1: just and, more realistic hardcore bands of that kind of nature are just more realistic in general and they're just more, they are a little bit more connected with their fans in the sense of, you know, during lockdown, pandemics, all the last 12 (laughs) months that's gone on, I saw bands that I like releasing, doing live stream concerts and Mm -hmm. so on and so on and so on. And, you know, I've got one from the UK makes an announcement, we're doing this live concert, $25 a ticket. And I'm just (laughs) like, what? And then... (laughs) Then Terra do theirs. And it was like, I think it cost me $8. Yeah. And I'm just like, I, I bought it instantly. The second I saw it, because I was like, $8 is like what in the UK is like six pounds. Yeah. I was like, I could never see them play live for that money on the road. So like, yeah. it's an absolute steal to sit in my living room and watch them play live and so on. And you know, and
0: you're not a legacy fan, man. I know. I know. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's and it's just kind of like, but you look at that and you kind of go, well, the way Terror did theirs was it was very raw. It was, you know, the sound was raw. It wasn't edited too much. And they charged a... It was almost like a. the situation is shit right now. It's tough. If we charge like a really, really reasonable price, we're going to get a, such a large proportion of people buying it and tuning in to watch it. And then you've got the big bands that are just like, yeah, we'll just charge $25 because we're a big band and we can do this and yeah. they'll pay it people will pay it like whatever they haven't seen us live and it's that and it was just such a and I watched I paid $20 for one band I can't even remember who it was that's how good it was and I paid $8 for Terror, and Terror's was better and it was cheaper and oh, yes. it was because they were just charging a more fan-friendly price without trying to capitalize on everything mm. that happens and it's just yeah I think it's very different worlds apart and
0: and then you got a Frank Turner who does those things live. You've Seen that? And he does. Uh, he always does it as a benefit for uh, for venues.
1: Okay, that was good. that's cool.
0: Yeah, he, he did uh, he did one. The, a friend of mine is a, is a big Frank Turner fan, and he said the last one he did was for um, uh, fuck, what is it's called in Leeds again? That club. Um,
1: no idea. Don't look to me for help.
0: <laughs> no, it's, it's crazy. Like I, I've been there with Mabel twice over the last two years and I fucking forgot about it. It's, 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 it's not Joseph's Joseph's well. It's not one of those things, but it's, uh, it's uh, very underground. Lucky from four, he's runs it with some people, but yeah, those guys, you know, suffering from the, from the pandemic. And that's just a guy that is, boom? yeah, temple of boom. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he uh, says, yeah. I, I, I do, I do look at you for help. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's so cool that people that that now have risen to a certain status don't forget their roots and and, and do it that way. You know, you can also yeah. do it do it do it in a, in such a way, which well, probably was a massive support for him. You know,
1: that's the that's the um, you know, I've always felt that that's a hardcore kind of you know the when you follow that kind of music, you do have that about you as well. And I think mm-hmm. you know and that's where I saw and I was looking at these live stream concerts, and I was just like, you know, Terror stood out like a sore thumb because it was such an affordable price for fans. And yeah. I think I take a lot of that into the terrace, which sounds kind of weird, but like we do, we've done so much over the last kind of two years that we, you know, we give free kits to kids teams. We raised 10, 15, no, 15,000 pounds for the NHS last year during the pandemic um, with products. And we give profit of, so there was a Leeds United footballer called Gary speed who sadly committed suicide um, some time ago so we any we sell products of gary speed to leeds united themed and any product that is gary speed related all profits go to a mental health suicide prevention charity in the uk Mm -hmm. and you know that's kind of what we thrive on because we're just like paul my business partner kind of said something once and it kind of resonated with the whole business and we've always lived on it is that if we're going to take from a community because ultimately we are taking money from the football community mm. with sales, we have to give back to it. Yeah. We can't just take, 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 because then we are just another corporate brand. Like, yeah. So, you know, we continuously give back. and It's just like, you know, we see things on Twitter. And I saw a, yesterday, I saw a, I, I can't even pronounce their name. It was some small under-11s football team on Twitter mm. saying that they were trying to raise money to buy 11 trophy awards to give to the kids at the end of the season. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we just dropped them a message and said, We do these glass block things that we can Mm -hmm. print onto. And I was like, Send me over their names, your club badge, everything. I'll print 11 of them for you and put them in the post. You've got no need to raise money. Like, we'll just send Mm -hmm. you them. Mm -hmm. And they were just like, Okay, amazing. How much are they? And I was like, We'll cover it. It's fine. Like, it's 11 trophies. Like, it's Mm -hmm. nothing. And, you know, we call them random acts of kindness. You know, the, troub- the trouble you do get is then is when you reply on Twitter or something, you then get messages from about 50 other people. Yeah, of Can you do it for us? Can you do it for us? And it's like, we can only help so many people, but we just, every day we do stuff like that because we just feel like we're on cloud nine. We've built a business in the football world. We're football mad. And we're taking from the community and we we just have to give back, whether it's, we do a lot of donations to football fan food banks that then support football fans that are struggling and there's loads of things like that. But I've always, you know, Paul, my business partner was massively into his hardcore as well and stuff. And we both feel like that way of the ethos behind the brand, 100% comes from our music background and the Mm -hmm. music we listen to. It doesn't come... People will say, oh, you're such a nice person. Oh, you, you've got such a good heart. I could say, oh, yeah, well, I'm just born that way and that's who I am as a person, but it's not. It's That comes from the music I listen to and the way of life that that was when I was growing up and stuff. And I think had I have grown up listening to grime and trap rap, my mentality of stuff would be so different. And I yeah. think I owe that to the hardcore bands and stuff I was listening to growing up and seeing how they act and how... You know, it it is, you know, I've never, it's funny because like right now I think about that and make that connection, but I don't think about it too much. And it's not Mm -hmm. until you think about not where you've come from, but where your characteristics come from. Mm -hmm. It's it's incredible that it can come from just the music you listen to and the message that they spread as well. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I think, uh, I actually think that's a nice way to conclude this, Carl. Of course, because because that means that's where it's that's where basically all comes together, where where both worlds melt melt together, and that's what I wanted to do with you today, just uh, see how you hop from the one thing to the other because it's both things that I love too, and uh as much very... as I
1: love that trainer collection in your background, <laughs> like it, well. it's amazing. So, I just more on this side, but <laughs> I can see the box. I can see the Adidas boxes on the other uh, side, <laughs> I,
0: I, and I, I, might, I might have as many jackets as shoes. So,
1: <laughs> talk I'm a about trainer that guy, at, I'm a trainer guy.
0: Yeah, I will talk about that at, the, at another time. <laughs> well, I hope it's not going to be this long before we, we speak uh, to each other extensively again.
1: Well, and, I'm uh, coming over to Germany soon, as soon as the flights open, anyway. I'm coming over to Germany for a couple of meetings, so I will um, ensure that I. Leaving an extra day to come and see you.
0: Yeah, definitely do so. Definitely. 100%. All right. Well, Carl, I want to thank you for the talk, taking the time, and uh, we'll talk
1: soon. It's been a pleasure, mate. Thanks All very right. much. See you later. See you later. Dude.